The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. The climate conditions are, of course, quite challenging. So if you look at the map where we, Finland is located, so we are the northernmost agricultural country in the world. And that means that even though we have quite mild weather, thanks to Gulf Stream, but still the light conditions are really challenging during the winter period. Mm-hmm. And that was Probably the reason that Finland was one of the first countries to start artificial lighting in greenhouses. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast. Weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 3. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, I'm positive you're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Eric Levesque, co-founder of Cultivated. You may recognize the name from the intro at the beginning of the episode. We're honored to be partnering with Cultivated as our title sponsor for Season 3. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nico Kivioha, CEO of NetLed. NetLed is an organization that designs and builds the high-tech platform for the world's smartest vertical farms. Nico has spent the first part of his career in controlled environment agriculture as a grower and has spent the last decade in high-tech, closed environment, and vertical farming technology development. In this episode, we discuss Nico's familial history of entrepreneurship and the inspiration to start NetLed. Nico speaks to the proprietary Vera vertical farming platform that he's recently been managing, how the global pandemic impacted the food supply chain, and what excites him the most about the future of NetLed and the vertical farming industry as a whole. This episode is also brought to you by the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. Each week, our team member Daniel Drace cowers into the earth to bring you the latest and greatest in the world of vertical farming. Sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. Okay, I know you're chomping at the bit to get into this conversation with Nico, so let's get to it. 
So Nico Kibioa, CEO of NetLed, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you, Harry. So Nico, for the benefit of the listener, can you let us know where home is for you now? Well, home is in Finland, about center, not center, I would say a few hundred kilometers north from Helsinki. And I bet Helsinki is the most popular place here in Finland. So <laughs> it's a Tampere region, a lot of lakes, beautiful nature, mm. nice place. And what was the impact for you last year? Was it helpful to have access to that nature while everyone was going through their version of the shutdown? I have to say yes. My house is close to a forest and it's it's easy mm. to go walk in the forests and enjoy the nature. So yeah, I think you're right about that. It, it's it's good. Helpful at least. Yeah. Therapeutic, especially, I would imagine, being around nature. Yeah. Is that something for you? Do you consider yourself, where do you find yourself? You're more at home in big cities or in more ur like urban environments? I mean, uh, country environments, nature? I would say I like both. City environment is nice, but sometimes it's good to go back to nature and get the connection back, Yeah, if I may. So so that's nice. And I think that in this line line of business that we are doing, there's more connection to nature in the business itself than there is, let's say, in some other field of technology. And uh, where did you go to university? It was actually here in Tampere, University of Technology. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's quite popular university here in Finland. Did you know when you went enrolled and you had an idea of what you wanted to study and what your focus was going to be, how much of that changed by the time you graduated? Well, basically, I did know that I will probably work in something related to horticulture or commercial production of vegetables because my family business actually goes uh, to horticulture in, in back in the day, 1987. My father started a greenhouse operation mm -hmm. producing 1 million kilos of tomatoes annually and uh, year-round with artificial lighting and everything. So wow. it was actually during the winter time pretty close to vertical farming already in the 80s, early 90s. So growing there and actually I felt that I have picked enough tomatoes for one lifetime <laughs> growing in greenhouse. So, so then I decided to go for technology, but I knew that I will probably work with something related to that business in my professional career as well. It's, it must have been interesting for you because, I mean, greenhouses obviously have been around forever, but in the 80s, I mean, the technology is so much more advanced now. And obviously, we're going to get into a little bit of, of the work you're doing at, at NetLed. But did you understand or realize how important it was to have the ability to grow indoors? And is that something that, that is naturally something top of mind for you when you're in a climate like the climate you experience in Finland? I would say yes. The climate conditions are, of course, quite challenging. So if you look at the map where we, Finland is located, so we are the northernmost agricultural country in the world. And that means that even though we have quite mild weather, thanks to Gulf Stream, but still the light conditions are really challenging during the winter period. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the reason that Finland was one of the first countries to start artificial lighting in greenhouses. And uh, that's um, the funny thing about that is that most of the professional greenhouse producers actually 
switched all the way to winter producing and didn't do the summer producing at all anymore because there was so much more money available when you can actually produce at the time that nobody else can produce. Mm-hmm. So that actually drove the artificial lighting. Well, I would say back then when you only had high-pressure sodium lights for greenhouses. So it drove the business to develop methods of how you can grow better, faster with this greenhouse environment and with this uh, artificial lighting. When you take the midwinter conditions, when you can have maybe minus 30 degrees Celsius, um, I'm sorry, I'm bad with the Fahrenheit, (laughs) but anyways, it's really cold. And if you take that temperature outside and you take uh, 25 degrees inside and you have single layer of glass in between. So it tells you that there's a lot of energy involved and everything you can do about that energy takes you closer to better profits and more successful business. But I would say that it's not all about the money. If you look at Finnish consumers, they are very well trained to buy domestic produce. So, for example, in Sweden, as far as I know, they are there is much more import coming into Sweden, even though if they are quite close to us. But in Finland, very high percent, I would say, probably about 85-90% of the vegetables consumed are produced locally. That's interesting. Is that a mindset or a way of thinking in Finnish culture generally to just support locally grown foods and produce? Well, I think the Growers Union have done outstanding work to promote that. So they have done that. But yeah, I think it's more of a marketing than mindset of people here. But that's good for our, our, first of all, for the growers, so they can actually get paid for their work. But second, it's also good for the tech development, because when we have domestic production systems, we have growers, very highly trained growers who are actually growing highest yields of cucumbers, for example, per square meter in the world at the time, over 200 kilograms, some way over 200 kilograms per square meter. So that's really good because it also pushes the technology to develop here. It's always more difficult to work on technologies that you have to work in foreign countries or, or long distance away. But when we have a good community of growers and technology suppliers, so we are we can really work together and find the best solutions and have the, the growing know-how as well embedded into this technology know-how. And it's really difficult to go to growing technologies by just having an idea that this sounds nice thing. But then when you actually approach the growers, they have probably thought that through already. And that's the challenge we're working with. Um, but I think that's something that had driven the technology development here in, in Finland. Just coming back for a second to your, your father with the greenhouse, is that something that was common in your family or this idea of this here, I would call it the entrepreneurial bug and you know this idea of building your own business, making your own way? Is that something that was always common with your father or you know, previous generations? I would say that the generations before my grandfather they were farmers but with traditional open field farmers some cows and and things whatever you had at the farm back in the 50s 40s but they did do a lot of work with um, with the boards of companies back then like like the dairy production and things like that so that's 
yeah, maybe there was something entrepreneurial back then as well. The main reason or driving force for my father to start this greenhouse was actually the, there was a factory, or it's still there, this industrial factory in this region where he started the greenhouse. And this factory was producing excess amount of heat. Mm. And uh, in Finland, you need quite some heat to make that, let's say, through the winter. So this company was incentivizing other companies to come to that region and buy the heat to the greenhouses and or whatever you want to use that for, but in this case, greenhouses. And they were successful. So there was actually seven, about seven hectares of greenhouses, that area of which two hectares was my father's business. So that was the driving force. And the second was the crazy, let's say, economical atmosphere of the 80s. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of low-cost money available for starting mm. businesses. Do you think that that had an influence on you later on as you started to think about you know, what you witnessed, the challenges, the ups and downs of owning your own business? Now, there's obviously freedom there, but as any business owner knows, there's also challenges and struggles day to day, some high highs and some low lows sometimes. Well, I think that's um, thing I haven't thought through that well, but I think that there's something that if you come from entrepreneurial family, it's really difficult not to go there yourself as well. So there's something there. There's the feeling of success when you succeed on something. And of course, there's the low times as well. But then again, the success wouldn't taste that good if there is no, not the, the bad times involved as well. Is there a big or supportive entrepreneurial community? in the town where you're at and just in Finland in general? Well, yeah, there's surprisingly a lot of entrepreneurial companies in this region. But of course, the Stambere region where I am at, there is a lot of big industries as well. For example, Nokia, where the Nokia cell phones comes, is right next door here. Okay. And it's actually a municipality called Nokia, where that name comes from. So I drove through that every day to my work. So there's also regions of big companies, but there is some... Um, quite thriving startup scene as well going through here. And there is a um, lot of interesting companies coming up. But yeah, so yes, there is a lot of peer support for building your businesses. So that's a good thing, definitely. So tell me about the idea for NetLed, when that started, when you came up with it, or you know, what was the inspiration? The original idea for NetLed started with our own needs in that greenhouse environment. So we started to, well, if we look at early 2000, when we installed that second hectare with hypersodiums sodiums to increase the productivity of the tomatoes, that was really good years. We made a lot of money with that organic tomato sales in midwinter. But in a few years later, like 2005 and so on, the energy prices started to climb very fast. And when the energy prices start to climb, we have to look into the, the one thing that is eating a lot of energy, and that's the lighting. And back then, 40% of our revenues were the electricity cost of our, our greenhouses. Mm. And you know that if there is even a slight increase in energy consumption or energy price, it will ruin your profits. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have to do something about that. And we started to study LEDs. And that's the initial 
let's say, reason why Netlet was originally started to study LEDs. But then we moved on to vertical farms, turnkey systems in 2004. Originally, we started to study vertical farms as a whole thing. And that's something that nowadays is taking a lot of our time. When did you notice that there was a shift in interest or availability or creation of a vertical farming model different than what you had historically seen in greenhouses? That is a good question because there has been talks about vertical farms forever. Yeah, (laughs) actually. I know a guy in Finland who started working with vertical farms in 60s already, but it was just small things and trials with mercury lamps that are (laughs) forbidden already. But anyways, nowadays, but I would say that, of course, when we started to look into the LEDs, we found out that in greenhouses, one of the biggest issues, for example, with leafy greens and and lettuces is the, the... the quality challenges when you are going from a midwinter where you have maybe one mole per day light and when you're going to February where you suddenly have five moles or, or eight moles per day and then the plants cannot really take that change in the light conditions and they start producing a quality issues. So then we realized that actually that the it's much easier and better to build vertical farm where you eliminate that biggest quality issue called sunlight from the process. And then when we studied this a little further, of course, back then, 2010, 2008, back then the uh, energy efficiency of LEDs and the price for outrageous, you cannot really think about building yeah. feasible vertical farms, maybe research and things like that, but that's all. But then when we started to look at these quality issues with the sunlight and uh, all other things related, like when you are dehumidifying greenhouse in midwinter, it means that you are putting heating on and you are opening the hatches, even if you have frost outside. And you have huge pylons of steam coming out of the greenhouse because you are dehumidifying the greenhouse. And you can imagine how much energy you are losing there. So... All of these aspects, when you take this into consideration, it only makes sense that you build entirely closed environment you can, where you can perfectly control the conditions. And I have to say that I think that the, the vertical farm term is a little misleading because it usually comes to the discussion that you can use so and so efficiently the field area or the floor area or whatever because you have so many layers in the vertical farm or vertical these cutters or whatever. But I think that the best advantage of closed environment growing and vertical farm is the fact that you can actually control the conditions perfectly. And when you're controlling the conditions perfectly, it means that you have to eliminate the sunlight. And when you're Mm -hmm. eliminating the sunlight, then it only makes sense to put them on top of each other to save space. So it's a secondary benefit to use the space more efficiently as far as I think about the subject. So then you created the, the Vera line specifically for vertical farming and you have different applications. There's the in-store, the compact, and the industrial. Which one did you start with or did you know from the beginning that you would be tackling like these different use cases? 
Well, yes, actually the industrial, the driving idea behind Vera system have been industrial scale production because I believe that vertical farm should be competitive with any other mean of production of the vegetables. The main reason for that is that the methods of growing that are not competitive with the traditional methods, they may carry you around when it's trendy to buy vertical format crops. But when that trend is over and everybody's assuming that all things are grown efficiently in vertical farms already, then you just have to be competitive. It doesn't really matter anymore that it's vertical farm. It only means that lowest price is, is the key. And what we have calculated with the in-store cabinets, in-store designs and all of these, it's it's simply the fact, the economy of scale, which is present in every industry. So that's the original, let's say, thought behind Vera system. And that's where we have the highest automation uh, levels that we've developed, best energy efficiencies and everything. But then again, there is huge demand, at least in this transition time to vertical farming in in-store designs and the uh, compact designs. And uh, they are easier to get financing today. Uh, then again, the let's say the consumer impact of in-store designs, it's outstanding. And if you think yourself walking into supermarket and you see this factory growing or producing your vegetables right there, it's so easy to think that, okay, I really want to buy that. It doesn't really matter what it costs. <laughs> yeah. Whatever is behind the display with the purple lights, that, that looks cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think there's value to that. And I think there's value to that, that you are showcasing the consumers that this is the way how your plants and food is produced. And they get better understanding and they maybe value a little higher the fact that, okay, there's so much minds and thinking and ideas behind of how our food can be produced more efficiently and more ecologically, less mileage for food and all these things. But having said that, still, I believe that in long term, the industrial solutions should be at least being developed with the same pace because we need a long-term solution for the issues that we see on the, on the field. As you started rolling out the product line, which types of companies or who were the companies that were expressing early interest in NetLed? Well, of course, back in the days when we sold LEDs for greenhouses, so they, we are quite well established in, in the Nordics, at least, with the LED field for greenhouses. And of course, through that, we have some traction with the vertical farms as well. But it seems that because the capital intensity of vertical farming is so high, so the CapEx side is high, so it, it seems that there, it is more of startup greenfield type projects that are going into vertical farming. The supermarket field for in-stores, that definitely seems to be that there's a lot of interest from supermarket chains in different countries towards of promoting their own or lifting their own tail about how ecological we are by investing into these in cabinets or in-store type designs. But yeah, I, I believe that the biggest breakthrough comes from the corporate style vegetable producers or food industry for the industrial type of production. So when the food industry, let's say, ready to eat meal packages and things like that, 
they consume huge amount of leaf green and basil and all these standard herbs. So I believe that's the field that will go fast in vertical farming once they see that it's ready for big scale investments. So those are the biggest players that I think that affect the market. Can you talk a little bit about the work leading up to launching the first vertical farm in North America with Rainbridge? Yeah, sure. So we've been looking ways to get to North America for some time now. So we've been contacting people, going into exhibitions and so on. One main reason is that we see that the U.S. especially is the most dynamic market for vertical farms. So, and we can see that the, most of the biggest vertical farms are built, built in the U.S. already. So the market is more ready for vertical farms than in Europe, as far as, as we can see. So that's one thing. And we have a long-term good cooperation with Rambridge and Brent from there. And it's outstanding people working there. And they saw an opportunity to bring this technology available in North America and also start to promote the technology there. So they were interested to invest their own money into this technology to make the first case available for other people to see there and see that there is other ways to think vertical farming. And, and at least for some purposes, maybe it's, it's better than something else that is available today. And yeah, so they decided to go for it. And, and we're really happy that we can do that because we see that it's quite challenging to get the U.S. natives to travel all the way to Finland to <laughs> see things. It depends on the time of year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Do you see that as now an opportunity to expand your footprint in North America? I do. So, of course, this whole thing with this pandemic and everything, so it's really a little bit challenging to see what is the next, let's say, episode with this with the pandemic, whether there's new variant or something coming up. But other than that, there is now the relief bill which was passed there and a lot of money available for investments now. And what we see is that the economy is going forward fast in most places, at least. So I think the pandemic, the bad thing, of course, is that it stalled everything for a year at least. But then again, now we see that there is a pressure to do investments and that probably speeds up the further down this year we go. Yeah, I think what it made obvious or exposed is the challenges in the supply chain. <laughs> That's, I think, became very aware for people. And also here in the States, people's access to fresh produce. It's, I think, something people who live near a supermarket or a grocery or a farmer's market take for granted. But I think, you know, there's low to moderate income neighborhoods here in the States and all over the world, I'm sure. But, you know, the only thing that's near them is fast food and junk food. And I think what's been made more aware is more of these opportunities to have that access. And I think that's expanding out because companies see that they want to help solve that problem and looking to, and obviously when, when there's resources and solutions like what NetLab provides, I, I think it really opens up the market to, I'm sure that's you know part of what you're speaking to. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the case. And uh, it's even though, of course, the pandemic is the one on the top right now with the discussions. But then again, we do see a the climate change related things already affecting the 
in the background. So, of course, that cannot be seen by the consumers directly. But, for example, there are companies in the food industry that are buying these products that can be produced in vertical farms as well. And they have made huge losses in these episodes when there was, let's say, 2017, there was a sudden snowstorm in Spain. And the lettuce price went 10 times higher for a brief period of time. And it meant that these companies lost their entire year's profit because they still have to buy that not to lose their market position. Wow. So there's a lot of things happening in the background that doesn't come to the surface in the media that is not directly told to consumers, but it affects on the, on the economy and everything behind. And I think this is also driving the, the industrial scale production to the, the food industry. To They are willing to pay more for the security of the supply chains for the producers. Well, that's a perfect segue into your partnership with Vertical Farms, because I think a lot of people don't think of industries like pharmaceuticals and cosmetics when they think of vertical farming. So can you speak a little bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. This vertical farm, uh, it was quite, let's say, surprising for us as well that we got approached by this David, great guy. So he approached us and said that he wanted to do a little bit something different with vertical farms. And we said, okay, we supply technology and uh, are happy to do what you want. <laughs> so... But anyways, started to work with certain crops that he asked to do tests with. So we started a test trials with our own farm. We produced 30 kilos of this stuff and uh, sent over for tests. And then they extracted, they did a lab test of how much they can extract from this one. And, and they were happy with the results and go forward with the investment for this facility. Yeah, so I think when you are making the technology available and the ideas I think it's, technology is only one thing. But when you're making the ideas available for people and these guys with entrepreneurial spirit, then you are opening new opportunities that didn't even know that is there. And uh, this was this really came clear to us with this thing that we cannot say that it's only for herbs and lettuces and these food products. It can be cosmetics. It can be, I don't know, algae, whatever. There is so much stuff that have that is produced organically in the world, so we don't know probably half of it. Yeah, I think once people see what's possible and how vertical farms, and for the benefit of the listener, they're based out of Poland, I think, right? Yeah, and, Poland. And they're using whatever they're growing as the basis for their products, which speaking to earlier, like disruptions in the supply chain, I think... For companies that rely on those, watching those margins closely, controlling that in-house, I think is going to be top of mind for a lot of these companies. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I think what comes to the pharmaceuticals, one of the main thing is the quality and the uniformity of the quality. And if you think about the entire greenhouse business and the financing of this agriculture, the one big thing and the challenge is that in greenhouse field, it is difficult to get financing. A lot, not a lot of investors are in invest, uh, interested to to look into greenhouses and open field growing because there are so many risks about the climate and the difficult years and years with losses and storms and everything. And one main thing is that with vertical farm that you can actually eliminate that risk. And when you eliminate risk, investors are happy and they want to pour more, more money towards you. And 
this is especially true when you go to pharmaceuticals that you can actually guarantee that okay in next month you get this much stuff and in next year you get this much stuff and we can guarantee that it's the same quality throughout the way so this is probably one of the biggest promise for these let's say big players with uh, small margins that have to make sure of course pharmaceuticals probably have big margins as well but but still they want their suppliers to be come through with their product and that's key for the continuity of the business given the success you had with vertigo do the wheels start spinning do you think that this is there might be now an opportunity in other industries that you might not have thought would be a good application for netled i think that we know technology we know quite a lot about growing stuff quite a lot about the horticultural biological part as well the fact that we don't know is that what kinds of end products there is demand for and that's the idea that if there's an idea that okay maybe this is a crazy idea that we might be able to grow this in vertical farms but it's probably nonsense but still david go through with that and now he has perfectly functioning vertical farm in poland so i think it's important to lay out the ideas and it's important to approach companies like us with the ideas so we can put our technical and even the growing know-how from at least the lettuce and herb field together most of the plants they are not so different so so most of the basic principles can be worked with a lot of crops so i don't think there are stupid ideas when there's such an emerging market that you can only sky is limit what you can do with vertical farms of course money has a limit as well but i think that comes through when you are discussing and finding the best ways to do it and best technologies to do the, the business and nowadays surprisingly a lot of business ideas actually are successful with vertical farming because the economy of vertical farming has gone through so big changes in the last few years that it's really carrying through a lot of business ideas already and for the benefit of the listener, I also want to remind them that uh, you do have also turnkey solutions, uh, turnkey lighting solutions for greenhouses as well. So, <laughs> you know, that you do offer both. Uh, do you see a shift in demand percentage-wise between the greenhouse and vertical farm uh, needs? Well, that's a good question. I would say that vertical farms are growing bigger and bigger in our business so the led lighting is really important for us as well but it's more challenging business to do the led lights than vertical farms main reason is that there's so much suppliers and for client what comes to client perspective it's difficult sometimes to say that who is good supplier and who is bad supplier and everybody is somewhere in between usually and uh when there are so many companies shouting in that business, so it's, it's difficult to get your voice heard by the clients. So that's definitely the market entry to LED greenhouses is so low that there's constantly coming companies and constantly going companies out from that business. And that's definitely the challenge in that field. But still, it's we've been doing that for uh, how long? About well, 16 years since we did our first LED trials in, wow. in greenhouse. And we know the best ways of do that and uh, what is the economy behind. And one big thing about LED lighting in greenhouse is that the, the price per micromole has gone down so much and so rapidly that now the, for the last few years, the LED lighting investment is 
actually making a lot of money for the companies compared to high-pressure sodiums. However, high-pressure sodiums are still the most sold equipment there is for lighting, which is quite funny that it is, but it's just so cheap to invest in, even though you lose the money in, in a couple of years already, but, but still... Initial investment is so low. That's, let's say, easy way to fix your lighting issues. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, 16 years, NetLed has been in business, I, I think itself 12. How have you grown and what changes have you seen in, in terms of your leadership style in order to, you know, and things you think of on year over year? <laughs> leadership style. Well, of course, we have been pushing a completely new business throughout our history actually so leds when we started 2007 uh, netlet and uh, 2005 we did initial tests with the greenhouse company so of course that's been the challenge sometimes very frustrating to push a market that doesn't exist but then again it have been quite rewarding to actually see that our solutions have pulled through and um We've learned a lot along the way, and we've seen how the technology, let's say, environment have been developing so that it allows us to do better products. And we just actually looked at our oldest commercial project, and that have been running for 11, not 11, nine years now. Oldest LED installation still running. And so, yes, we've seen... We've seen technologies, we've seen LED chips, really bad and really good ones. We've seen suppliers, bad and good ones. We've seen business models that are bad and good ones. So when you look back the entire time, we've seen pretty much everything there is to see in, in LED business. So so that's quite funny. But of course, we are quite often comparing to the general lighting field, the white LED field. And it seems that greenhouse LED lights are coming maybe five, seven years behind that. And the main reason is that the energy demand for greenhouse, for growing plants is so much higher compared to this general lighting. One main reason is that the general lighting is merely informatic. So you just need to see what's around you and that's Mm -hmm. information. But when you go to the plants, it's just energy. And there is some information, but mainly it's energy. And uh, then it means that when you're doing energy with light, you have to have a lot of light. And that's main reason. So the, now when you see these 600 watts, we have 550 watt LEDs are the big LED luminaire. So you can see that within last maybe three, four years, the LED size have grown from 200 watts to 300, 400, 500, now 600 watts. And Hopefully, it doesn't grow any bigger than that because then it doesn't make any sense anymore. But that's where we are at. So, tell me a little bit about your thoughts around growing the team as business grows, as the industry grows. What are some things you foresee could be a challenge for you or interested in how you're thinking about where to grow the team for the specific needs you see coming forward, coming ahead? Yes, so we see the business or let's say our purpose in this market. I see it so that we, our purpose is to enable the vertical farms to be widely rolled out in the market. And one main reason for that is that we are a technology company 
and we prefer to stay technology company. Of course, we do some trial growings and we are growing some small amounts for the supermarkets, mainly to learn more about how to grow, but also how the technology works together with the plants. But the main reason is that the main purpose is to provide services for the operators. We call them operators, the vertical farmers, that you don't have to develop your own technology to become vertical farmer. And I believe that this is the way that the business is going. Initially, it's easy to have own technologies with the companies. It's easier to raise funds when you have proprietary technology, even though you're a farmer. But still, in the long run, we see that it's going to diverse into technology, quite clear technology companies and farm companies. And uh, this development is something that we want to speed up by offering the technologies tested verified technologies for the operators for the risk management purposes but also for easier to finance the projects when there is tested technology available for your need and this is a long long way to your question answering your question so the way to develop our team the challenge from technology perspective is that there's, of course, different regulations in EU and in, in US and in Canada, even Japan. Pretty much all the countries have a little slightly different regulations and everything. So it's it's easier to for us to go to these new markets and establish a technology support team or engineering team locally and start serving that market. But of course, there needs to be traction in that market to justify that, that service there. But... That's the future plan is to have our own support teams in the time zone of our client projects for these eating for clients. That would seem to make a lot of sense because to your point, they have the on the ground expertise in what's happening in those environments from a legal perspective and and, and can speak to that better. And I like that approach because it makes you more nimble to react to market conditions as well. Yes, that's definitely true. And it's uh, when you're talking about this expensive investment, so usually the client, they prefer to have a local guy supporting them and local um, same language speaking guys. And uh, the time zone thing is actually, it sounds that it's, it's solved in modern world, but I think it's still quite important that you have same time zone. It's much easier to reach people when you need them. And uh, it's a surprisingly big uh, factor still. Yeah. What's a difficult question you have had to ask yourself recently? Most difficult question. I think I've been thinking a lot about this. What is the main driving factor in vertical farming? And it comes to my mind that it's actually the financing Mm. instruments. It's a little bit... Unfortunate that the financing is having so big role in all these emerging technologies. Venture capitalist, what is the right way to finance vertical? Is it, it's like venture capital fund or is it like private equity, bank financing, mm-hmm. leasing? Uh, there's all of these are available, but it seems that it's sort of venture capitalist emphasized financing. Yeah. And that the good thing with venture capitalists is that it's risk money. So it means that these new technologies may have financing, even though they are not fully established technology yet. But the downside is that venture capitalist likes technology. 
and it means that if you're a farmer, it's very difficult to get financing for the farm only. And that leads into this dilemma that there are a lot of companies who start as a farmers, but then they found out that, okay, we have to be technology companies as well to get financed. Mm. And uh, whether this is going to change or not, I'm not, probably it's going to change when the technology is more established and there is a more bank financing and all these available. But when that's going to happen, I'm not sure. Yeah. And when you, and just thinking about it from an entrepreneurial perspective too, anytime there's VC money invested in something, there's a lot of pressure from day one to produce returns. <laughs> yeah. And these VCs want their money back and they want a timeline for when they're going to make their money back. And, you know, they usually look at things from a 10x, 100x perspective. And so yeah. that, I'm sure that applies a lot of pressure especially for early entrepreneurs and to your point, farmers as well, who are this navigating in this ecosystem may be something that's new to them. Yeah, that's true. And But I, I have to say that it's really good to see that there is so much money coming into this vertical farming right now. So the capital investments in vertical farming, even though there's a lot of companies with proprietary technology themselves, but it still seems that there's a lot of money coming every year. It's doubling probably even tripling some years, the money that is pouring in. And this is leading into this more established market, which makes more, let's say, elegant solutions available for maybe farmers to focus on farming side and technology companies to focus on technology side. And I believe that when this happens, everybody is benefiting from that. To that point, as we wrap up, what's something that uh, has you excited as you look forward to the next few years in the industry? It could be related to LED technology or it could be related to the overall industry. What comes to mind? I think the LED industry is, is something that there is so much development have been happened already in, in recent years that there is not that much new to achieve. So, of course, there's all the times better and lower cost luminaries, but it's getting more and more commodity market. So I'm definitely excited about the vertical farming field. We see new crops coming in. We've done already baby leaf, berries, head lettuces, flowers. What I'm really looking into is the, or looking forward to is the, uh, let's say, protein plants, oil plants. I believe that it will take time before they are, you can grow them, but before it makes sense financially. And it's quite simple because the amount of energy you have in plant means the energy that you have to produce by technology into the plant. And uh, But I think that once we reach that point that we can actually produce financially viable way and producing these protein plants, maybe even oil plants, then we are actually making a difference in the... In the uh, food supply, food scarcity of the world. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to share the NetLed story. It's always fascinating. You know, to your point, there's so many different players in the vertical farming industry and people like you that have been established and been doing it for over a decade, which in vertical farming makes you an elder statesman <laughs> in terms of seeing, because I'm sure you've seen companies come and go and, and technologies come and go. And so it's been interesting to get your perspective and to see how excited you are for what's happening in vertical farming, because it seems like, you know, to your point, as much progress as we've, as we've made, there's a feeling that there's much more progress to be made. And I think NetLed is going to play an important part in that 
introducing the technology to other industries that may not realize the benefits of of entering this market. Yes, that's uh, I'm looking, really looking forward to the future and seeing what we can do and what we don't know about the business yet. So for people to learn more, they can go to netled.fi. Is that the best place to learn more about the technologies? Yeah, sure, definitely. Okay. And if people want to reach out to you, is there anywhere for people to connect with you? Or is it just LinkedIn or <laughs> any place else you're active online? Yes. So we are attending this indoor Arctic summit uh, coming up in yeah. the summer. Yep. And LinkedIn is a good way to reach out. And of course, uh, email. So whatever channels you can find, most of our laid out in, in netlet.fi. So you can look there. But also look at our social media accounts. So we have quite some interesting stuff coming up. We are planning to put a, a series of videos about vertical farming in Instagram mm. in the spring. So yeah. uh, stay tuned to our channels and, and you'll keep updated. Then. Yeah, and I think we were originally connected through someone on your social marketing team because you do have an active presence on Instagram. So whatever they're doing, it's working. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, Nico, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, thanks, Harry, for this opportunity. So thanks again to Nico to, for sharing his story. It was interesting because, as I alluded to in the episode, I believe someone from the marketing team reached out. They've got a pretty active presence on Instagram, and it was fascinating to dig into what NetLit was doing, how long they've been in the industry. And I was looking forward to this conversation. I think I have to check if this is the first conversation with a company from Finland, but given their challenges and growing in a controlled environment and their experience, I'm glad we were able to chat. So I hope you got something out of that conversation. Would always love to hear your feedback. You can send that to me at harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks again to Nico for coming on the show and sharing his story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks to our Season 3 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Really excited to get back on track with these interviews, and we've got several lined up, including conversations with the teams at Vertical Harvest, Jackson, Cubic Farm Systems, Grove, and Let Us Grow. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.